All right, guys, welcome to another episode of Humans of LinkedIn. Uh, with me, I have Jason Cutter. Uh, I think you've been on the show, haven't you? I have. Okay, yeah, so Jason's a second-time guest, so but this is his first time live, um, so you might not have seen him otherwise. But uh, I met Jason on LinkedIn a little while ago. We got connected. We've been talking a little bit. Jason sent me a copy of his book. Let me do the little, put it in, this, in the frame. His book, which is actually very nice. I've, I've started, I only got it on Monday. So we had this scheduled and uh, I just got it on Monday. So I've, I kind of did a, a speed read of it um, to pick up the the highlights. But uh, as far as I can tell, seems like a pretty well-written uh, book and and seems like it's got some great, some great tips for salespeople. So I'll let you introduce yourself a little bit more, Jason. Go ahead. Uh, thanks for that. And uh, the book is mostly well written, but it's very well edited. So uh, <laughs> uh, in school, I was a math and science guy. The only bad grades I got were generally in like English and, and language related stuff. So it's, uh, it's definitely my editor. Uh, he did a great job, uh, but also not, you know, making it not my voice. So anyway, so uh, I have a company called Cutter Consulting Group. I focus on coaching and consulting and training for teams and individuals, helping them both close more effectively, but then also uh, put in systems and processes and scale their teams to whatever size they want um, and helping them, you know, fill in those gaps to go from doing some sales to having a machine. And, uh, you know, it's kind of why we connected because you're on the marketing side, you're setting up those conversations, you're, you're, you're giving that to people from your side, and then I'm helping them, you know, convert those into the sales part. So with where, uh, you know, it's, it's really cool, you know, relationships and conversations with someone like yourself, because you're, you're on one side, I'm on the other, we're, we're both wanting to to help companies succeed. Um, for me, you know, kind of why I wrote the book and then also where my journey has been. I mean, my bachelor's degree is in marine biology. I was not destined for sales in life. Like I've come from an anti-sales family. Anyone that heard me recently knows it's like the same thing I always say, but I think it's important because there's a lot of people out there, you know, like let's say the Gary V's of the world where they've been selling stuff to people since they were like four or five years old. And that's right. just their thing. And I think that's amazing, but a lot of people I encounter who are in some kind of sales role or have to sell their own coaching or their own consulting or whatever they're doing, they can't necessarily relate to that because that's right. so far, right? That's like, right. I'm going to go to the YMCA and then I see LeBron James also playing at the YMCA and I'm going to be like, like, no, right. it's like so far out of my league. I can't even relate. Right. But I was that guy. I mean, I never got, I, I realized yesterday I've never actually gotten sales training at every, any company I've ever worked at. No really? one has ever trained me to sell anything. Uh, it's all been kind of self-taught and or painfully learned, and, um, <laughs> you know, so that's, which is what most people experience. Yeah. Well, what's really funny is like the, as soon as like, first of all, I love you, you mentioned, it doesn't sound like your voice, but I mean, I, I love the fact that at the beginning of the book, you're like, I write, like I talk. And I mean, anybody who knows about writing knows that that's the best way to write. So, I mean, yeah. I do appreciate that. It's a very conversationally written book. It's not full of 1700 word sentences that are, you know, full of commas and stuff. I, I like that kind of writing, but you, very early on, I'm, I'm not sure exactly which page. I think it was, it might've been like the introduction or something, but you specifically mentioned uh, self-awareness, right? But like the purpose of self-awareness, let me see if I can find it because it was hysterical. I'd, I'd written a post literally like a couple days ago. I think it's right. Here we go. So you said, my goal is to help you understand what it means to be authentic. And it's hard to come from a place of authenticity unless you are self-aware. And what I think is funny about that is that <clears throat> I, I've seen so many folks who are talking about self-awareness, right? But we seem to have lost the fact that 
the purpose of becoming self-aware is to become other aware, right? Like self-awareness is not an end in itself, right? Like I don't want to become self-aware so that I'm self-aware. I want to become self-aware because it makes me better at speaking and communicating and it, right, it makes me a better person to other people. And it yeah. just struck me as funny because like that's just something I've specifically been thinking about recently because it seems like there's so much focus on like self-awareness, but nobody's like, yeah, you want to be self-aware so you can be better to other people. <laughs> well, and that's and it's interesting because one question that popped in my head that I'm now asking people on my show, on my podcast, is, you know, which which one, the journey or the destination? right? Like which one is it about? When you're talking about self-awareness, it's both, right? It's the journey of self-awareness, which is always evolving. I mean, I'm 44 and every day I feel like I'm learning new things, uh, good or bad about myself. And there's also that destination, like you're saying, like, how do I become so self-aware that I can then be of maximum value to others in a way that helps them, you know, in their lives? Yeah. I think the funniest thing about self-awareness is that like, to, to like the most self-aware thing you can realize is that you will never actually be fully self-aware. <laughs> right? Doesn't matter that it's always an evolution that you'll never right. arrive. Right. Which is why what you said about the journey and the destination, I mean, how much of everything in this success game in just in life in general, like how much is that true? But I still feel like so many people, especially in the sales world, like it's, it's pursuit of some kind of state, right? Mm -hmm. Where was I reading? I don't know if it was in your book or another book I was reading recently. It was just saying, uh, Something basically, you know, we're in a constant state of becoming. Was that a quote in in one in this book? It struck uh, me. Pretty, I think it was. It just basically yeah. some 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 you know wise person was saying, you know, we're in a constant state of becoming. Like we don't get into states in life to stay in states in life. Like even when you get yeah. to the thing you're trying to get to, that's just another transient, you know, flex moment of your of your full lifetime. You just move through that as well, right? So, I mean, I, I think that's huge. All right, so so on a more set on a more sales related note, right? I mean, this is called transform from order taker to quota breaker. So, you know, you've used a lot of examples too, which I love examples. I love them a ton. Um, yeah. You know, but who is this really the best book for, right? I mean, like you mentioned, people who specifically, you know, but it seems like it's more sales inside sales related, right? So, is there like a specific kind of person, or does it not matter at all? It, I, on the surface, I don't think it matters at all. And the way it's written, like my background in sales leadership as an employee with teams and with companies was always inside sales, telephone, call center, small team, large team, multi-location. Um, and then as a consultant, I've worked with all kinds of industries, you know, in, uh, you know, face-to-face, business-to-business, business-to-consumer, like it's, it's all the same. So on the surface, it's all sales, right? Like for me, and one of the things I focus on in the book when it comes to the persuasion pieces, you know, a sales success fundamentals that are always there, like rapport and empathy and trust and hope and urgency. Like you can apply that to any sale, to any, any sale, keeping in mind that everything is sales, right? So if you want to date somebody or you want to get a promotion or you want your team to do, you know, what you want them to do, like there's always this fundamental set of things that have to happen. And so that's who to apply. When I first started writing this book, the first draft of the book was going to be something along the lines of the reluctant salesperson. So uh, that person who ends up in sales, right. they didn't see that for their life, right? I was 27 when I got my first sales job and I still didn't think it was sales. And I fought it many times. Um, even that person who they want to be a coach, right? They're a health coach, but to get clients, they have to sell, but they don't like that part because it feels dirty and they think sales is dirty. Um, and so they're reluctant. And so it's really written for that person who 
they're an order taker because they don't want to be that bad guy, but there's got to be another way. And it's that persuasion piece in the middle. Absolutely. makes sense. Yeah. So, I mean, persuasion is kind of like I put on the post I share, you know, that, that I share, like, I really do think it's, it's become a bit of a dirty word. And I agree with you. I mean, yep. there's one massive, cause I mean, what, I don't want to ask your age, but you're definitely, I think probably Gen 44. X, right? okay. Yeah. 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 Whatever that one is, Dudes I don't know usually don't care, but yeah. I just thought it. <laughs> um, yeah, you know, it's like uh, I would have guessed like late thirties or something. But uh, you're you're definitely not in my generation, right? And if there's nope. one massive problem I have with my generation, it's that we nobody knows how to say anything meaningful, like in person. <laughs> like we love to just hide behind our profound quotes that we just stole from somebody else, but nobody knows how to just sit there across from somebody else. And like, even if you disagree or even if they're mad at you, like there is no emotional maturity whatsoever. There's no ability to have a conversation. And there's certainly no ability to like say things out loud that make you uncomfortable. Like that's really the thing I think. And like, I'm not like, I'm not saying that sales should make you uncomfortable, but like you should be able to do things to get better at them that you don't just have a natural affinity for. Right. And it shouldn't always just be, well, I figured out a way to hack it so that I don't feel that way anymore. That's why LinkedIn is full of all this garbage selling that's so passive that it's not selling anymore, right? So like, how do we, how, how do we authentically persuade, right? How do, you, how do you not do what people think they're doing, which is like get someone to do what you want, but actually, you know, I guess work to their better benefit, right? But you got to be able to put yourself out there. I mean, the the first part, you know, you're talking about that self-awareness, right? And then what that means to other people. And then the second part to me is really to come from a place of empathy uh, for others, right? And I think that's one of the things that that's missing just in general, not just generationally, but just in general, is that people are so stuck in their own stuff. They're going after their own things. Um, you know, it's why I don't do a lot of social media outside of LinkedIn, because it looks like everyone's on vacation and everyone's lives are perfect. And they're right. actually not like I know right. people in real life. And I'm like, no, that's all BS. Like that's just a, that's just the highlights. Um, and so the problem is everyone's kind of focused on themselves and, or they're, you know, like right now it's just all drama and chaos. And so it's, you know, it's, it's, it's survival mode. And so it's tough to think about other people. And when you get into a sales situation, then it's really about a lot of people default to, I want to close this deal. I need to make money. I need to make the sale. I have a quota. I don't want to be homeless, like wherever you're at in that, that spectrum. And so it's tough to turn that around and go, whatever, like I'll make the sale or I won't. Let me know about you. Like, what right. are you going through? Let me ask you lots of questions. Let me care like crazy about you and your situation with the end goal being, I want you to be in a better state, whether I sell you anything or I give you a recommendation or I point you on your way or I tell you to buy nothing and stop trying to buy stuff because it won't matter. Like right. I've done all of that as a salesperson. It's like, no, literally stop. And don't call anybody else and try to buy from them. Like literally stop trying to buy stuff. Like it won't help. Right. You're in a bad situation. So stop. Right. Um, and so, but it's coming from that place, like starting with empathy. Okay. Yeah. And I mean, that makes, that makes perfect sense. I think it's so hard for people sometimes because they hear things like what you just said, which is all 100% true. And it's like, we start to get in that mode of everybody's saying, just do the right thing. Right. But I think what it really comes down to is you can only do that if you've genuinely like let go of your own, I guess, you know, your own self. What's the word I'm looking for? Like your own self-preservation instinct to a degree. Right. I mean, you, you kind of have to like let your own guard down and just go, hey, I'm going to literally do the thing that doesn't really make any sense because your primal brain is saying uh -huh. make money, you know, get what you need, pr you know, provide for yourself. You kind of have to just shut that off. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's your our, our primal brains are 
only care about survival and procreation. That's really it, right? That's it. And then what happens is we fast forward to our current world and there's so much else going on. And then when we default to anything, our, that part of our brain, the amygdala says, no, 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 stay in the comfort zone. Know what you know. I mean, people literally don't like changing paper towel brands. They don't like trying new restaurants. They don't like buying different brands of cars. Like people just get so stuck. And so everyone likes their comfort zone and their bubble. And then it's also about survival. And if you're in survival mode, you cannot think about anything else. And it takes a huge leap to then go, okay, I'm just going to trust. I'm going to trust that there's 8 billion people on the planet and I don't need to sell all of them and I don't need to sell you. I just need to sell enough. And so right. it's either going to work or it's not. And you know, uh, how do I just have more conversations and do the right thing? And it will work out if I'm good enough. So, so how do you get good enough, right? <laughs> <laughs> so what's working right now? Um, you know, for me, like in what I'm seeing with people, because this, you know, and we, you and I talked months ago, uh, and, and before that, when the pandemic was starting, the, the instant reaction online was don't sell anything, just build relationships, just plant seeds, just wait, you know, um, right. and I've talked to many people where I think that's a great strategy, but it's also always got to be combined. I mean, it should always, this is the funny thing. It should always be about relationships, right? Like it should always be about caring. This shouldn't be a new thing. Hey, by the way, new strategy, pandemic mode, care about people and, and, and relationships. Right. No, you should have been doing that the whole time, ass. Like right. that's not a new thing, <laughs> right. but people like, like, okay, I got to do this thing. I got to empathy. I got to care. Right. And so I think that's always important, but the, the real key is that if you sell something of value or you help somebody in some way that's valuable, it's always the right time to sell something to them and help them buy from you if it's valuable. And, right. and the line I say and the joke I say all the time, but if it's the 18th marketing optimization SaaS platform and they're not even using the first 10 that they've tried and then don't use what's different about yours, you're going to have a hard time selling it because nobody cares because it's not right. valuable. It's not solving a problem. If you solve a problem, people will drop tons of money even right now to solve problems. And we see that all over the place. It just The question is, is, are you solving problems? Is there value? Yeah. And I mean, I think you can almost see that in the people that are like, there's so many people that are on LinkedIn that you can almost feel that they're not really sure why they do what they do. <laughs> Mm -hmm. <laughs> right. Mm -hmm. Whether it's all the coaches and all the people who are like single, you know, single, whatever you call it, you know, sole proprietors or whatever versus yep. people who sell for a company. But it's like, I'm just fascinated at, at how far we've come from a time when people like even a sales, like even when I started sales, which is like five years ago, it seemed like more people cared about what they sold. Like they had at least a little bit of pride in like the fact that they were trying to help a company. And it just seems like we're, that's almost just like gone away to where like, I, not entirely, obviously there's people who do, but it just seems like a huge portion. And maybe it's just the bad stuff is rising the top. I don't know, but it just seems like so many people aren't, they're just, they're just going through the motions and you can see it clearly. Like it's so obvious. Yeah. I think, I think part of it is, is like the, the negative group the ones that give industries a bad reputation, and I've seen it for so long, um, they're always the one that get the most attention. They're always the one that you see the most, right? The the boiler room, Wolf of Wall Street types that, you know, they, they, they're giving reputations or, or industries a bad reputation, right? Like I saw that before where mortgages were hot when I started in it. So there's a lot of people making a lot of money, but also not necessarily doing good stuff. And then they went to a different industry. Then they went to a different one and they're just like chasing the big money. Um, and I think you have that a lot. I mean, 
I, I think there's a lot of people who sell who have good intentions and they really care and believe what they're selling. And then there's people who are chasing money. I mean, I talked to somebody a couple of months ago where he found me, we set up a discovery call and I said, he said, I, I just want to get into sales. I want to be a, an SDR and then I want to move my way up. I said, why? He's like, I just want to make money. I want to make a whole lot of money and have nice stuff. I'm like, okay, it's not, I mean, I can help you, but you're going to struggle because that's not like that's your motivation and the way you sell is not necessarily going to be great if that's like your number one goal in life. Yeah, it's kind of like hitch, right? <laughs> like you're a hitch and you've got guys who come to you and they're like, I want to do this thing really well because I want to build yeah. relationships and have a great career. And there's other people yeah. who are like, I want sex on the first date with every girl. That's what I want you to teach me how to do. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Yeah. Like that, like that scene, right. In the restaurant where he meets right, that guy and right. I forget the character's name, but I, I love that scene. It's like that person, right? And that person in that movie scenario is the one that gives dudes a bad name and dating a bad name and gave Hitch a bad name, right? And it's the same thing we see, right? So those are the ones that you see. Those are the ones that make the splash or, you know, the ones that are bragging about their million cold calls and, right. you know, how much they're just kind of scorched earth mode. And right. you got to make cold calls, but it's like, what's the intent? What's the goal? Right. What are you learning? How do you move away from that? Yeah, well, I mean, so I'm curious what your thoughts are on this, because this is a kind of a, a constant thing that, that comes through my mind, which is um, what is the what is the correct thing for a small business to try to do when it comes to, to direct outreach? So let me explain what I mean by this. I see a million people and maybe I'm crazy, right? I've yet to find somebody who's able to 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 like explain to me what they're talking about. So I, maybe you can be the first one. I don't know. I see so much yeah. stuff on LinkedIn, all these guys who are like. Cold calling still works. Pick up the phone, blah, 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 blah. Every time I'm like, cool, I'm willing to believe that it works. What are you doing? They send me back some list of this tech stack they're using, which I, I knew ahead of time, right? I'm, I'm assuming this is what they're going to say, but I'm wondering if anybody's not. And it's some tech stack they're using that is probably at least three to $500 a month worth of software. And then on top of that, they're paying five to $10,000 a year on data. And they have either those tools for themselves or they've bought them for their salespeople or whatever it is. Right. And my question is always the same. How does that help a, a small business person? Right. A small business person is looking at this and they're going, how do I grow my business? How do I find new clients? And they're being told, pick up the phone. That still works. You know, make cold emails. That still works. And they're going, who, <laughs> who am I calling? I tried to like, no, but I can't get a hold of anybody and I can't buy the data because I don't have 10 grand to spend up front on Zoom Info or Discover Org or even Lead IQ is very expensive for like to get real data out of it. Right. And I know those tools work. It's great. But I like I come from small business sales. Right. And all these guys are like, well, I'm being told it works. I've got all the, the, the gurus and all the books and I've read it all. And they're saying, pick up the phone. And then I go try to go down that path. And I suddenly realize that I need to have twenty thousand dollars in the bank right now if I want to start prospecting that way. Right. So I'm. I'm just kind of painting a picture like, you know, what is it for those guys? How are they supposed to sell? I think, you know, really depends on how gorilla somebody wants to go and how like where they're at resource time money, like in that, like if it's a solopreneur or small business with a couple of reps and they want to do it. I mean, you know, at some level, depending on what you want to scale, get some kind of easy cloud-based power dialer, put some data into it. I know for me, for myself, and then also campaigns I've run, literally I've figured out the list of people that we want to target, hired somebody on Fiverr to do a web scrape, get the information, put that into a list, and then make those phone calls. 
right? Like, yes, it's great to have all the deep information. We can do account-based marketing and blah, blah. Like I, I get it. And that's valuable depending on what you're selling. But if you're a small business and you're trying to get momentum, account-based marketing and long-term like research and going deep to get enterprise level or whatever you're targeting, that's not you. That's not where you're at. It's not the field you're playing in. And if you're playing in that field, you probably have a ton of money and resources. Right, so right. Exactly. You, you, yeah, this yeah. is a conversation that isn't for you. But if you're just like trying to start out, that's what you do. Or you hand dial it and you just go through and you make phone calls. But literally you can have someone scrape. And I've done this. I paid someone on Fiverr $10 and literally told them, find me every somebody in this category, their name, their email, and their LinkedIn, and then use that. And now I've got my list, right? And I've got a starting point and I've got enough for a conversation. It also comes down to the scale, right? And this is what I work with a lot of business and salespeople on. How many do you need? Like, what are you talking about? Do you need one client a month? Do you need a hundred clients a month or three clients a week? Because then you're playing completely different games. If you only need three new clients a week for you or your team, that's easy. I mean, that's small numbers. Like that's not, you can be really tactical gorilla, Google it, find somebody, pick up the phone and call them and you can make that happen. If you need a hundred a month, then Right. No, that's going to cost some money. Well, but if you need a hundred a month, you should have a budget of some sort. You have a <laughs> budget of something. Or, or the organization and then, you're trying to withstand, sustain at that point. <laughs> exactly. And what I think is important too, is to always be doing both, right? Like, and this is, there's a chapter in the book where I talk about this, but it's, and it's regarding referrals, but I think it's always important to act like a hunter, but think like a farmer. So what that means, and not like hunting and going out and killing, but I mean, like you've got to eat for today, right? That's hunting. You got to go outside the cave. You've got to go hunt. You've got to eat, but you also want to be working on farming and planting seeds and nurturing the garden so that in three or six months, your survival doesn't, isn't dictated based on, do you have a successful hunting day or not? Right. And right. so you want to be able to live in both. Um, and so I think, you know, for any business, I think it's, you got to be able to call make sales, get new clients today, and then use content strategies, SEO, you know, the kind of cool stuff that you do, which is like, okay, this is long-term. You're not right. going to get a client tomorrow because we're going to do some cool content stuff. But once that machine gets going, then you don't need to cold call anybody because now you're, you know, you're, you're the hot one at the dance that everyone wants to come talk to. Right. Right. That's probably the best answer I've ever heard on that. I love the, I love the, the concept of like paying somebody on Fiverr to do that kind of thing. I mean, I've, I've gone down, I haven't done a ton of that for like our business. Um, it just hasn't been something that we've, uh, that we've needed to do. Um, but I mean, I've worked in that world a ton and I, I mean, I've watched, I mean, I even know a bunch of coaches here in town, right. Who work with small businesses. Like it's just the, it's just the constant perennial question. Right. And like, there's so much frustration around it and there's so much, I would call misinformation going around, like people trying to act like it's not this difficult thing when it is hard. Like even the thing you yeah. said, like, yes, that's a way you can do it, but it takes time and it's hard. <laughs> yeah. hundred percent. And then just cause and you got the numbers, if you don't know how to make a call, you're still up a creek with no paddle. <laughs> yeah. And then, and then the challenging part and then the, the, the real fun begins, right. Is that's just the beginning, right? Okay. You got to make these calls. You get all this software, you do all these things and then you actually get someone on the phone and now what, right? <laughs> like that's, that's, that's where I play. And it's like, right. You know, it's, it's funny because with a lot of my clients, I'm there to help with the sales process, to help them close more, close more deals effectively, build a machine, you know, build something they can scale with, you know, just plugging people in and, and having a great sales culture. 
And usually where I start is helping them with marketing. Like I'm not a marketing guy. So I usually bring in people, but it's like, you know, we gotta, you gotta have conversations first and then we can work on fixing those conversations. And it, it's, it's, you know, it's, that's why I said like you and I, like, it's, it's like, you know, you're setting them up and then, you know, you're I'm helping them down. close. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, so again, using that language, I, 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 uh, I, I try to be very conscious about like the language that gets used. Cause I mean, I, I know that there's so much, there's so much just of this that goes on between the sales world and the rest of business. And that's, what's been odd to see even on LinkedIn, where it's like, you almost have these two different silos of people. Like you have businesses and then you have salespeople and they're all on LinkedIn and they can all see each other, but they're almost just kind of like doing this, like, <laughs> right. Like, it's very yeah. weird. Yeah. It's, 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 it's absolutely amazing uh, that it happens. It's human nature and I get it. It's also one of those things where a lot of times it's, you know, so here's the thing, here's the thing that I've realized in seeing so many businesses throughout the years is what generally happens is a company is started by a sales founder, someone who they have an idea and they can sell the living crap out of it. Right. And so they're focused on sales. They're a marketing founder. So they're great at the marketing, but not the sales. And then there's the technical founder, somebody who great at building websites, great at building widgets, great at whatever it is, building furniture, it doesn't matter. They're just not good at sales and marketing. Then what happens is as their company grows, they're always going to have that bias based on their filter and their lens on the world. And so whatever department it is that fits in with their view of the world, like if they're, I'm a, I'm a design person, a product person, and I'm anti-sales because salespeople always make product people do stuff that's hard to do. They're, you know, the organization is going to suffer on the sales side and it's going to be siloed. And it's just right. what happens. If you have a sales founder, everyone else is secondary in the organization to sales because right. sales is, is the God there. Right. Makes sense. Yeah. I mean, I, de I, de I definitely see that. I mean, that's what the whole e-myth is about, right? <laughs> mm -hmm. And that's why it's one of my fundamental favorite books, right? It just breaks that down. But then that causes these silos when you just extend it out. And then it's just funny seeing it on on LinkedIn. Like I said, know. I just, it's like just like a now. funny magnifying glass, basically, where it's like you just have all these salespeople who are like talking about how they're crushing it. <laughs> and then you have all these business people who are like, salespeople, stop cold calling me. <laughs> and everybody, it's just like, everybody's just like, is nobody reading any of this stuff? <laughs> now the, the people who are getting cold called aren't on linkedin i guess telling yeah, everyone to right stop exactly calling them. you know it's know. funny that's actually i'm i'm noticing there's a lot more people that aren't on linkedin than i than i would have imagined i think the i think that the business world would do a lot better if more people engaged on linkedin just because i think there's a lot of miscommunication going on like it's one of those confirmation bias things right so you have a bunch of business leaders who aren't on linkedin they're all talking to each other but they have no idea about this whole other conversation going on and then the same thing with linkedin so all the linkedin guys are like well this is what everybody's saying on linkedin and it's like yeah well you could have called 10 people today that have never ever been on linkedin before right. so you you can't like you're making assumptions about the mindset of someone you're calling who you have no idea if he's even thought the thought that you're thinking he thinks <laughs> <laughs> and and I'll tell you, when I was VP of sales marketing operations throughout the years, I maybe checked LinkedIn one time a year. Really? And to and to give some ideas on number, LinkedIn, LinkedIn came out. I was super excited about LinkedIn when I uh, was self-employed many years ago. So we're talking 2004, 2005. Okay. I was excited and I got my LinkedIn up to 500 connections and I was pumped. And that was when you had to actually know people. I was like, I, be, I remember when I hit my first hundred, I was like, dude, like, you know, I wasn't using other social media. This was a new thing for me. I was like, this right. is amazing. Right. And so 500 connections, probably mostly family and friends, like whatever, like, I don't really care. Right. Classic mode. 
So to give you an example, I started my consulting in December of 2018, finally got back in LinkedIn. I'm like, I should probably use LinkedIn. That we're, let's, let's say 14 years passed by. When I logged back in to look at it, I was at 600 contacts. I literally checked LinkedIn once a year. I would see all these spam messages, all these articles people wanted me to read, all these weird connection requests from people I didn't know. I would accept them all. I wouldn't reply. And then I'll see, I'm too busy. I'm running a sales team. I don't right. need anything from LinkedIn. I have everything right. I need and there's no value there. Um, and now I'm like, I'm the same way. Like, why aren't you on? But I get it. I, I'm empathetic to the fact that they're probably busy, like yeah. working. Well, I think it's shocking too. For, <laughs> right. I think it's shocking too for some people that like there are some portions of the business market that don't need LinkedIn for their business. Like they just don't need it. And especially if if a company is doing like what you're talking about, like some kind of inside sales, if the sales team is if the, if it's working correctly, they're not even worried about prospecting because they're just handling inbound. And that's the next thing I want to run by you before we before we wrap up here is what is it like from my perspective, there is some really weird stuff going on with the sales and marketing thing. Like there is some weird blurring of the lines, like marketing people are, are starting to see themselves. I think too much. I think they're starting to let themselves be judged too much like a salesperson. And it's leading to some really bad marketing habits. And I think salespeople are starting to like, try to become a little too much like a marketing person. It's leading to some bad sales habits. Like what are you seeing? I mean, you mentioned that when you go into a company, you got to bring, you got to bring marketing in like, what are you seeing in terms of like healthy marketing and sales relationships? I think when it's done right, marketing knows that their part is starting the conversation with that prospective customer, right? So it's the brand, it's the awareness, it's the messaging, but they're starting a conversation and then they're handing that conversation to sales and then sales is continuing the conversation. And when it's really done right and it's healthy, everyone in the organization realizes it's one single customer. So it's not siloed in marketing versus sales versus operations versus customer success and processing and retention. Like it's one customer at the end of the day, it's one person. And so I think when you see that overreaching part, it's because the KPIs are so dependent on the other that they feel the only way they can win in their own way is to do more or kind of cross that line or try to make up for what's not being done. So marketing's generating okay. leads, sales isn't closing enough, right? And marketing's pointing the finger like that was a good lead. Why didn't you close it? Sales is saying that was a bad lead. They didn't even qualify. It's all your fault. And, and so there's this, this disconnect and this finger pointing that generally happens. And then sales is saying, well, I'm not getting enough leads. I might as well go out there and try to do it myself and do my own marketing, which I think is good somewhat depending on the company and the brand and the role. But like if the machine is built right, then you've got people who are focused on what they do best and salespeople should be focused on having the conversation, right? The hello to the close kind of part of it. Right. And, um, you know, I, I think that's, that's the issue. And it, I think it's, it's always a leadership problem where, you know, they're allowing it to stay siloed instead of like clearly having it a team, but the team knows what they're supposed to be doing, right? The quarterback isn't kicking for the extra point, right? Like the quarterback knows, like, here's my part. And then I finish and then someone else comes in. Right. And, you know, everyone's trying to do everything. Do you think that SDRs should be under marketing? <sighs> That's a tough one. I, I've never been asked that or thought about it. I, I would the only say reason I ask almost because like, I mean, I, I've been thinking about this a lot. And it's like what you said about, you know, marketing starts the conversation. And it's like, I, here's what I'm seeing I'm seeing that marketers, are not educating the market 
or their companies or their clients or whatever you want to call it, they're not helping people understand that marketing is not sales. Like it's, it doesn't, it shouldn't get judged by the same criteria that sales does. Right. But we have this weird thing now where people are like, if I hiring a marketing person, I want to start getting leads in three months. Right. Like that's a, that's a thing. Like there's a lot of bit and they're like, I'm going to hire some performance marketing guy and he's going to get me leads in three months or he's going to get me in, if they're not in six, I'm, I'm, you know, he's gone. And this, instead of being like, whoa, 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 that's not what marketing is. All the marketing people are like, okay, I guess I can agree to that. <laughs> right. And then the sales guys are kind of, you know, I don't know. Anyway. So what I'm asking is like, if marketing is starting the conversation, then technically isn't being an SDR part of marketing. And if that's the case, like, do you think that the weird obsession with SDRs and them being under the sales side may be contributing to this problem we're talking about? So answering it in reverse, the thing that happens with SDRs falling under sales is that SDR-ness is the, is the breeding and farm league for sales. Right. It's the people who want to be in sales. They don't have experience. Generally, this is what's done. And so it's a, hey, someday you could be in sales. This is how you start, have these conversations warm things up and eventually you could be a salesperson if you're good enough. So it's, it's in, especially in B2B in, in that realm, it's seen as the farm league for sales. Right. And so that's why it's always fallen under sales because it's not a marketing function, but marketing is giving them the leads or the data, providing them with, with who to call. And, and then I think the other part in response to what you asked is, I think it also depends on what you're looking at. Like, are we doing performance? marketing where I want a call, this call or lead will have this cost associated with it. I have a cost per lead and then I have a cost per acquisition or a cost per customer, right? right. Performance numbers. Are we talking brand marketing, brand awareness, SEO, content strategy, long-term or like right. literally like I put X amount of dollars in, I should get these leads back. So I think that's where it gets messy is because it depends on what you're talking about. If you're talking about pure performance marketing, like I need a phone call and I'm willing to pay $50 for that phone call, then to me, that's a marketing function and would be treated different such that like an example, when I used to run organizations, it was always direct to consumer. And one of the things we would do is outsource and use third party performance marketing lead providers, a call center somewhere, usually in some other country where they would give you a pre-qualified warm phone call transfer for some cost, $20, $80, whatever right. it might be. And, but that was a marketing function. They did their marketing. They did their outreach. They handed it to us. Like marketing just gave us a phone call. Salespeople ran with it. And so it was totally separate. Um, I think, yeah, that's where it depends on the point of the SDRs. I've also run teams with telemarketers where their telemarketer SDRs for life. That's their personality. They're great at it. They don't want to do sales. They don't want to close deals. They don't like that pressure. They love just doing the cold call. And then it's clearly marketing and sales separate. Interesting. No, I appreciate that. I'm just, cause I'm a big reason why I enjoy this podcast is that I just like to ask real questions. Like yeah. <laughs> I have a lot of questions and like, there's plenty of people who have, who have, are in the middle of this and they like have made it work. Right. Like I am, I believe you're a person who has actually made things work in the real world. Right. I mean, there's so many people right now who are saying that they know what they're doing that haven't ever actually done that. Right. They've never actually gotten a lead to just call them and say, I want to buy from you, right? <laughs> I haven't yeah. done it as much as I would like to, but I have had that happen, right? And it's like, uh, I just think it's interesting how right now we have so much mis, 
I just think miscommunication about what it is we're talking about. Like even the distinction you made of like performance marketing, like I don't see anybody using that distinction, right? I just kind of realized that that was a type of like that, that was a way of classifying that sort of marketing. When I watched this keynote by the, this, this uh, marketing guy from Adidas. And what was fascinating about what he was saying was that they were making decisions about their marketing based off their performance marketing metrics. And they were misclassifying leads because they were actually counting performance marketing wins that were coming from things like SEO, brand awareness, content. And his point was they were massively misallocating their marketing budget. They could have been making right. way more sales if instead of being so focused on metrics, they were focused on, and that's the problem, right? It's so intangible. And that's what I mean when I say education, right? Sorry, I'm just kind of rambling here, but that's what yeah. I mean when I, when I talk about the education side. Like there is tremendous value to creating a, a, like a buzz around yourself that isn't tied to it. Like I can't tell you if I've had people call us and say they want to work with us. I've asked them, how did you, like, why did you decide? Cause I want to know. And it's usually like, well, I saw a LinkedIn video. Well, then I went over your blog and I read some of your blog posts and then I watched a video on your website and I was like, okay, these guys get it. All right. Well, I can't go. All right. Well, which one of those worked? I'm just going to do that one. It, it was all of it. And they can't right. even quantify which, at which point they decided that they wanted to buy from us. Right. Yeah, you can't you can't tie it to metrics, but this obsession we have with like data now is is killing, I think, valuable marketing in a lot of situations. And and I I think I don't know about the killing part, but I think your Adidas example is actually perfect to show where the issue is, which is the sloppiness of the data tracking and trying to attribute the wrong things to the wrong things, right? And so the you know they're getting organic sales that aren't performance marketing. Like they didn't run an ad that got this. It came in some other way. People like you and I, we get a referral from somewhere. They see a video versus running ads, right? right. And so you put it into the wrong bucket and then you think, oh, my ads are working great because I got 10 right. new clients this month and I spent, you know, I don't know, $2,000. So it's a $200 cost per acquisition. That's great. I'm super happy with that. But the performance market actually sucked because it came through referrals and something else. And so I think it's always important. And I've run teams where we had eight different performance-based lead sources plus referrals, and each one was tracked so we could see which bucket was winning, right? Direct mail, Facebook ads, calls from the Caribbean, like wherever. And we, I watched them all. I knew what my target cost per acquisition was my closing rate that needed to hit that number for each one. And literally I knew which one to throttle up and down or to kill or to double down on. And then there's the other mode, which you're talking about, like with your blog and the LinkedIn videos that you and I do, where the other strategy is put all of your costs into one bucket of marketing and then divide that by all of the clients that you get. And then that's your performance cost per acquisition where you don't try to differentiate which blog post or which podcast episode. Right. Here's like everything. I did $5,000 on everything and I got 10 clients. And so that's my number. Right. Yeah. It's interesting. Yeah. And I, what I'm, when I, when I said killing, I, what I meant was like, it's obviously companies like Adidas, they're going to keep doing what works because it works. Right. But when I'm, I'm, what I mentioned, what I said, when I said what I'm about killing, what I specifically mean is I'm, I'm seeing it harm small businesses because they're basically, they're, they're getting the wrong idea. They're starting to see like the kinds of things like we're talking about, like, 
whether it's just some content, whether it's SEO, whatever it is, as invaluable because they can't track it or see results as quickly. And so it's like, rather than being like, okay, I'll slowly start to work on that, right? Like build that over time. They're just like, I don't want any part of that because I don't think in 18 month increments. And it's like, well, you're really, really shooting yourself in the foot. You know what I mean? So it's just fascinating to me. And that's that whole hunting versus farming survival mode. I'm hungry today. I just woke up. I walked out of my cave. I can't think about planting beans that I'm going to eat in six months, right? Like I will be dead by then. So I need to eat right now and then I'm tired and then I can't plant seeds. So, you know, that's, that's where it's, and that's what happens. That's what businesses do. They need something now. And then they get in that, that circle, that rat race, and then they're never having an SEO or content strategy for long-term and they can't get out of that daily grind mode. Yeah. Well, hopefully your book is something that can help with that. So uh, there we go. Jason, thanks for coming on. I love it. Anybody who's who's watching of our one or zero viewers, uh, Selling with Authentic Persuasion by Jason Cutter. I'll I'll chop out some some nuggets from this because you, you had some great stuff in here. So I'll, I'll chop out a couple, maybe send over a link, uh, a clip to you and you can share and stuff like that. Um, but uh, but yeah, always a pleasure to talk to you, man. Glad glad you came on. Um, if anybody's interested, what's the best way to get a hold of you? Uh, on LinkedIn, obviously that's where we're chatting. Um, and then the other simplest way is jasoncutter.com. So right there is a hub for everything. The book course consulting, uh, LinkedIn, YouTube channel, all that stuff is right there. So, and thank you for having me on super fun. I always love the live aspect and just jumping into it. And you're such an amazing host and I love the (laughs) question, some of which I wasn't even thinking about. So, you know, uh, awesome. Thanks man. Awesome. I appreciate it. All right guys, we'll catch you on the next episode. Thanks Jason.